church in Springfield and in Eugene and Lane County, Lord. I pray, God, that this would flourish and grow and we'd see the kingdom move forward. I pray blessing on the givers' lives. For the Lord, you, you will bless those who give open-handedly. You tell us in the Proverbs that when we give with open-handedness, that you bless the giver. And so, Lord, I pray for blessings for those who are stepping out in faith today. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give. Fruit has come a long way recently. I don't know if you know that. Uh, they're, they're crossing all kinds of fruits and different things and doing all kinds of cool stuff with fruit. But, but it was not that long ago. I am frequently reminded of when I was a kid at Christmas time. I was so excited because I would get a gift in my stocking of an orange. And I'm like, if I tried that with my kids now, I'm not sure who they would contact. Authorities of some sort, they're like, this is wrong. No child should get an orange. I mean, they, they, they feel pretty sad when they get it in their lunch. They're like, come on, give me a Lunchable. Give me Doritos, something. I got an orange. Now it's a disappointment to get an orange. I don't know. I like oranges. But, but uh, now fruit is so easy to get in the grocery store, right? I mean, you go in and you can get fruit from around the world. There is like an exotic fruit section of things that, you know, you like star fruits and different things and dragon fruit. It's fun to see all the different styles there um, of, of fruit. And we can get it year round. It used to be... If it was in season, that's when you ate it. But now it's getting shipped around the world, and you can eat fruits that are out of season at any time you want. You never go, oh, I wonder if I could eat grapes this, you know, this month or whatnot. It's just there. It's available. And it's, it's amazing. Well, we're going to talk about fruit today. Um, and so to recap what we've talked about in our series, Simple, we started with, in week one talking about how Jesus has set us free. We've been set free from the law. We've been set free from, uh, from, from uh, needing to follow a certain kind of rules or number of rules in order to get salvation. But we are set free and we're called to stand firm in our freedom. That we, um, Galatians 5.2 tells us that we can't add anything to Jesus because anytime we add anything to Jesus, we immediately subtract Jesus from the equation. And Jesus is all we need. And so we've been given freedom. Now that's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. We, we clarified that. And then uh, last week we talked about how our freedom is an opportunity to serve and love one another, not to devour one another. Because there is a natu- we have a natural propensity as human beings to skew towards legalism. It's our default to, to kind of project judgment on people. To my way is the best way. It, it's, it's interesting and kind of ironic. It turns out actually my way really is the best way. Um, and that's how each of us feels though, right? My way is kind of the best way to do things. And so rather our calling is to love, to love one another as we love ourselves. This is what Paul says. Love one another as you love yourself. And if you loved other people the same way you loved yourself, if you saw them getting into trouble, if you saw them going in, down a path towards destruction, you wouldn't... If, you, if that was you, you wouldn't want people to skew towards judgment and hate and all these things. What would you want someone to do? Love you, restore you, help you. And in the same way, this is our calling as followers of Jesus. To not judge, not to turn to other people and start scuttlebutt over here about what's going on. But to come alongside believers and say, I love you. I'm going to walk with you towards restoration. So we serve, not devour. Today, we're wrapping up our series. We're going to start a new one next week. And today, we're talking about how freedom... Freedom's byproduct is a fruitful life. 
Freedom's byproduct is a fruitful life. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Galatians chapter 5. If you're on the Bible app, you can go on to the Bible app with me. Um, That's uh, in our Sunday links. I'm going to have several verses I'm going to be referencing, but we're going to be really based in Galatians chapter 5 today. Starting in verse 16, it says this. Paul writes, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, just like Star Wars. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Here we're going back to law. So here Paul is laying out, we are in a spiritual battle. Where is that battleground? Within us. There is a battle going on within us. Our enemy is not a politician. Our enemy is not a school board. Our enemy is not a boss. Our enemy is not our spouse. Some of you just gave side eye to your spouse. I saw that. I literally... There is a spiritual battle going on within us between the flesh and the spirit. Paul talks about this a lot in the book of Romans. And so when it, he goes on to say, so when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The word very clear means obvious. It doesn't take a brilliant rocket scientist, a rocket surgeon, whatever it is, to, to, to know these things. He says, here they are. These are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul starts this segment with this list. And this list is the works of the sinful nature, the flesh, as, as it's called. And he, he gives this list, and they're kind of in categories. The first things we see are these immoral sexual acts. We see sexual immorality. We see uh, impurity, uh, lustful pleasures. And then he goes on to talk about idolatry. Idolatry is anything that we place above or before God, which could be money. We, we sometimes think, well, I don't have any statues in my house. No, he's not talking about literal statues in your house. What is anything that comes before God? It could be your schedule. It could be your family. So he talks about idolatry. Then he says sorcery. Now, when we hear sorcery, we think of witchcraft. And that's true. It's, it's a definition of that, um, engaging with the demonic. But it's interesting because the Greek word that he uses here is pharmakia. And pharmakia, the very first definition you see if you look it up in the ancient Greek is Drug use. You see, you, you can probably see it in the word pharmacy there, pharmakia. And so it's, it, he's talking about mind-altering pharmaceuticals here. And it was actually common. I looked it up. Common in the, uh, in the first century in the ancient world to use things like opium and these mind-altering drugs both as a part of their uh, worship, their, their pagan worship, but also in just their, their day-to-day. And so he lists pharmakia here. So sometimes we say, well, we know what's God say about drugs? Actually, there is some words in here about that. Moving on, relationship sins. He lists out hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. 
I don't know if I could take myself out of a single one of those, even this last week. Then he lists drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins. He says, sins like these. He says, sins like these. So, so this is not an exhaustive list Paul just gave. He's like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? He, he's, he's saying uh, it should be obvious that, that this is not exhaustive, exhaustive. So if you're messing around with sin, Paul is saying, it should be obvious what that is. It should be clear to you. Do we need to get into semantics? Is, is this technically sin? Is that technically sin? Let me tell you, if we need to debate if it's a sin or if we're needing to create rationalizations for the reason it perhaps couldn't be sin, let me tell you, that might be some conviction going on right there if we're starting to rationalize our behavior. And so he says sins like these. So, so we got this huge category of these acts of the flesh. So if we're, uh, we're, we're dealing with all this, and so he, he gives this stern warning, and then he, he closes this segment with saying, if you are involved with these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a heavy warning. That is heavy. And then, then he goes on in verses 22 and 23. He says this. I promise. The, the sermon will turn a little more positive here. We're getting there. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And he's not talking about civil law here. He's talking about Bible law, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do these things. And so Paul counters this list of things, these acts of the flesh with this list that he lists. Now, ancient philosophers would call this a list of the virtues, a list of virtues of moral strength. That's the capacity um, to be able to to do good. Are the virtues. Um, the most famous of the philosophers that we think of would probably be Aristotle, who had lived before Paul, but would be, have been very known in this Hellenistic world that Paul was writing to. Remember, uh, they had this massive Greek influence in this corner of, of Turkey. They are literally a stone's throw from Greece. And so all of the, the philosophers, uh, all of their, their thought and their, their writings would have been very familiar to the people that Paul was writing to. And uh, Aristotle um, had this... Had this uh, Phrase or this this system that he called eudaimonia. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to pr- mispronounce it. Eudaimonia, eudaimonia. Can you say that? Eudaimonia, um, which which we would refer to as happiness or well-being or flourishing. And his argument was the way you develop eudaimonia was through uh, developing the virtues, like strong words like courage and justice and wisdom. But how do you determine what those things are? Here's here's how. Aristotle determined that you could figure out what those were. You find the average between two extremes. So how do you determine what courage is? Well, on one extreme is cowardice, right? Not doing anything, hiding, all those things. What's the other extreme? Recklessness. Just complete abandon, just just stupid recklessness. So we find the middle, the happy middle, and that's what we define as courage. Because if you don't have an ultimate defining uh, word like scripture, what do you stand on? So you've got to come up with your definitions. And so this is how he defined how we would say those things are. And Aristotle was famous for saying, excellence is not an act, it's a habit. And so a person is not courageous just for a moment of courage, but for for doing courageous things. Are you tracking with me? 
It's not a moment of being courageous, it's for doing courageous things. So Paul is taking this, this framework that undoubtedly the Hellenist, Hellenistic Gentiles that he's writing to are very familiar with. And in this context, they understand he's comparing and contrasting it with the life of a believer. He tells this church in Galatia, he says, If you want to know what is good, it's not about finding the middle of two extremes, but it's about looking at the person and the character of Jesus Christ. He says the Holy Spirit is our defining factor. And here's the fruit that we see in that. That's how we define what is good. It's not the extremes between the most evil and the most perfect that you could ever come to. But rather it's found in the person of Jesus. And so there, there are some carryovers though that Paul says here. First of all, it's in the practice. I like that, that what Aristotle said about um, excellence isn't an act, it's a habit. So in the same way, we can't say because I was patient once, I'm a patient person. I've had moments of patience. We can't say because I had, um, you know, self-control once, I have self-control. But rather it's in the practice, it's in the consistent habitual part of someone's life being led by the Holy Spirit that we have these fruits. So it's not an act of gentleness, but a lifestyle of gentleness. It's not an act of self-control, it's a lifestyle of self-control. So when we look up and compare these two lists that Paul is making, there's something really interesting we see. First of all, when we looked at that first list of all the things that he said are the acts of the flesh, it's important we see that they're acts. These are, these are actions that he's talking about here. But what, what are those fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit are states of being. It's a state of being as a person, to be a person of, of self-control. And so we see all these things. So um, as we study this, there's a few things that I pulled out of, drew out of this that I want us to see. First of all is this, the fruitful life is a cultivated life. The fruitful life is a cultivated life. Developing fruit is the, pro- is the result of process. I mentioned the other night, I uh, bought some strawberries for our garden last year. And I excitedly planted them, and the next day I was outside, and there was not a single strawberry on those plants. And I was like, these are worthless plants. Junk. And, uh, but I stuck with it, and uh, several weeks later, little buds appeared, and I was thrilled. And my dad said, you needed to go and nip those buds off so that next year you'll have a better harvest. And I was like, no, I want strawberries now. And so I probably am paying the price with a less productive strawberry plant now. But let me tell you, to actually have a fruitful life requires cultivation. It's, an, it's a process. Cultivation is an intentional process. It's not something that happens accidentally. If you look out in a field on your way home that's not cultivated, let me tell you, not many people are drawing much fruit out of that field. This cultivated life is not accomplished by also by looking at some external picture and trying to live up to it. Now, this is going to maybe rub some people the wrong way. If so, um, I'm sorry. Um, the cultivated life is not just looking at an external picture and saying, I need to live up to that. And I'm going to suggest not even a Christ picture and saying, I need to live up to that. And here I'll explain myself. You're saying, Pastor Brent, I just caught you. You're saying we shouldn't be like Jesus. Um, Here's what I'm saying. I wear a WWJD bracelet. And uh, this is for a few reasons. For one, I'm very behind the fashion trends. I know this is from like the 1990s. But that's when I grew up. And uh, my kids say I'm from the late 1900s. That's what they say. But, uh, but I wear it because it's a helpful reminder to me, right, to, to remember that I represent Christ everywhere I go. 
that I want to I want to act and treat people as Jesus would. And sometimes I, I see it after I do something stupid. And I'm like, oh, stink. I blew it. You know, it's, it's a good reminder for me. But but here's where this bracelet and reminder come up short. It's not me. My life cannot be me trying to reenact Jesus. Because I'm going to fail at that. I'm going to come up short at that. But rather, what Paul is saying here, and what we need to understand, it's the presence of Jesus within me being lived out through my life. Trying to just externally do all the things that Jesus did, we will fall so short. And I'm not saying that, that we will never fail, but let me tell you, we need to have Jesus living in us and through us, is what Paul is talking about here. See, fruitful life is the external manifestation of an internal work of the Holy Spirit. There's an internal work of the Holy Spirit that happens in us, and as that plays out, that's when we see the fruit coming through. It's fruit, not works. And so often, I think even as Christians, we just try our best at the works side of it. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. I've got to just knock it off. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And we fail ourselves over and over because we're trying for the works. We're not going through the fruit process. I've even heard it said, stop working on your character. And I'm like, ooh, that's a little pushy. But I I see what they're saying. How many times have we said, you know what? I really need to work on my anger. I really need to work on my mouth and the things that I say. I really need to work on my patience. I really need to work on my kindness. And a year later, do you know what we're saying? Oh, man, I haven't really come very far. We, we disappoint ourselves. We, we, we feel like we haven't, we're right back where we started. And this is why in so many cases, I think that often church becomes a behavior modification class. You feel like I come to church because they're just going to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. Because we're just trying to always uh, correct, correct, correct all the things we need to stop doing. You see, this war against the flesh is not won by suppressing our sinful desires, but by yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's how we win this battle against the flesh. It's by yielding to the Holy Spirit and then we have the strength to overcome the flesh because we cannot do it on our own. Of our own strength, of our own power, we will fail. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we pursue Jesus, that's when His character comes through. So the fruit is a result of the branch abiding on the tree. It's a result of the branch being grafted into the tree. Pursuit of the Lord and the production will begin to reveal the character of the one we are pursuing. It'll start to show through who we're chasing after. D.L. Moody once uh, took an empty glass in front of his class. And he set it up and he said, Class, I want you to tell me how I get the air out of this glass. And there were several different suggestions. Some students said, We need to vacuum it out. Some said, You need to blow it out somehow. I don't know. One person suggested breaking the glass. And none of this was working. And then he took a pitcher of water and he poured it into the glass. And he said, not until that air is replaced by something else can it be taken out. In the same way, let me tell you, if we're battling the flesh and it feels like it's taking up space, the only way it can be taken over is by filling it with something else, with the Holy Spirit. Filling that space with the power of God. And it's a transformation that occurs in our life into His likeness. Is it slow? Sure. Is it, can it be messy? (laughs) Sometimes. But it's a process that ultimately should be moving us in the direction of the production of these fruits of the Spirit that we're seeing here. A recurring metaphor Paul uses is that of walking in this chapter. He says uh, that we are on a journey. And a lot of this metaphor is connecting the Israelites to their walk from Egypt to the promised land. Leaving slavery and going to freedom, right? Um, but, But in this, in verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. Then in verse 25 in the ESV it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
And when he says keep in step, the word step is defined as to proceed in a row as the march of a soldier to go in order. So there's a pre-existing step that we are, that is already happening that we need to get in time with. Have you ever tried to like match someone's walk, their cadence with them? Um, when Gavin and I went to uh, the East Coast this last year for his eighth grade trip, we went to Colonial Williamsburg and there were um, these soldiers that were marching and they actually brought the class over and they drilled us. They had us uh, march alongside them and, uh, and, and they were like drill sergeants and they yelled at us and it was really funny and fun because we, we were terrible at it. The hardest part was when they had us all pivot around like an axis, you know, and some people are just doing this and some people are taking a lot longer strides and our line was all, ha- I realized marching is tough. This takes practice. That's why it's drilling in when you're doing these things in, in boot camp and things. It's learning to walk in step, learning to walk in order. And this is the exact language Paul is using that we need to practice walking in step with the Holy Spirit. It takes intentionality. It takes walking with him. It's, it's, let me tell you, fruit is not imparted upon us. It's developed and it's cultivated. It's developed and it's cultivated. It's not imparted upon us. You see... And I'll talk about this a little more in point number two. Second is this. Every believer should bear fruit. Every believer. The fruit of the Spirit, I just said, is not imparted on us. It's, a, it's not a gift. Um, there's, there's a separate list that Paul gives that he calls the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. This is different than the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, he, go, he talks about in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he writes this list. He says, to one he gives the ability to give wise advice, special knowledge. To another he gives faith. To another he gives healing. And so on. He gives this list. And then he asks a rhetorical question in verse 29. He says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? And the, 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 the implied answer then is no. We aren't all those things. We aren't all given all the gifts. We are to pursue the gifts, but yet those are imparted. But here, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that's imparted. It is something that we all should experience. It's not, it's not something that God just drops on some people and not on others. It's not that you get some of the list. Oh, I guess I didn't get patience. As a matter of fact, Paul, interestingly, doesn't call it the fruits of the Spirit. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It is singular. It's not so much, uh, you know, like the, uh, the, the lady that has the bananas ahead. I'm da 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 You know, with all the different fruits and things like that. It's more like a smoothie of, of, of God's, of, of, of the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's all of these things blended together that we should have them all. Not just some. If we are experiencing that, it should all be present. And so... Um, what, what Paul is saying here is, yes, as a matter of fact, he mentions this in 1 Corinthians. You may speak in tongues, which is a gift. But are you gentle and kind, which is a fruit? You may have the gift of teaching, which is a gift. But do you exercise self-control? As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if I have all of the gifts, but I don't have love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, by the way, I am nothing but a banging gong, a clanging cymbal, making a lot of noise. You can, he, says, he says, if I had the gift, gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Not just a little bit, nothing. And so here Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit must be present. Even if you have all these gifts, even if these things have been imparted on you, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is supposed to be present in every single believer's life. No matter what your giftings are, no matter what your spiritual giftings are, this should be present in your life. It all comes from one root, from one tree. It's all one fruit that we should be expressing. And third is this, we will be known by our fruit. Have you ever bitten into a bad piece of fruit? Oh, it's the worst. A bitter orange, uh, an apple that's soft in the middle. And What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm in your apple, right? Yeah. Just those, the fruit that's bad. Let me tell you, we will be known by our fruit. And you learn it real quick when you have fruit that's no good. Matthew seven sixteen, Jesus is talking. I think Paul is probably picking up on this when he says this. He says, you can identify them by their fruit. He's talking about the Pharisees. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. You see, fruit is a natural byproduct of what a tree is. I don't have to go out to an apple tree and give it a lecture on why it should be growing apples. I don't have to give it a big character speech on why it should turn things around and really start making apples. It's going to do that naturally in and of itself because it's an apple tree. And so, let me tell you, this is the natural existence of the plant in the same way. Fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit because it's reproducing its very nature. The Holy Spirit is going to produce these things because it's the nature of God. Patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. All these things are the nature of God being produced. And when He's living within us, we produce those things as well. So as much as I want my dogwood tree in my yard to make, to make mangoes, it has not made a single mango. Do you know why? It's not a mango tree. And so we can put all this bluster forward that we are producing fruit in our lives, that we are doing the right things. But let me tell you, if we are not truly grafted into the vine and truly reproducing what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, it's not the real fruit. And it doesn't take long to see the truth. So it's fruit being produced in your life. In Mark chapter 11, it tells the story of Jesus walking up to a fig tree And there were no figs in it. There were just leaves, a bunch of leaves. And so he cursed the tree and it died, which I've always felt bad for the fig tree for that. I'm like, why don't you just be in a tree, man? But let me tell you, we can live lives that look like they should be fruitful or look like they're fruitful. We can have a Jesus fish on the back of our car. We can listen to worship music on repeat constantly. We can have all the verbatim. Oh, I felt the rhema shekinah of God's holy exuberance today, Pastor Brent. (laughs) We can, have, we can have the lingo, we can have the words, we can have all that thing. But let me tell you, if it's not real, people will know the fruit is not there. Those, those things are just leaves. It's not fruit. And leaves aren't enough. The author Joyce Meyer said, Adam and Eve tried to cover their mess up with just leaves and look where it got them. Sometimes we try to cover up our lack of fruit by just saying, putting all the bluster out there. Putting the, the, the facade out there. But let me tell you, they will know us by our fruit. I read this quote this week. Fruit isn't just the indicator of whether the plant is healthy, but it's an indicator of whether the gardener is present. 
So is the gardener present in your life? Have you allowed the one who is the author of life to enter into your life and your heart and to begin that transformation process, not by what we can reproduce in Acts, but rather by what he does on the inside that then brings forward these things? Have you seen areas that you have been really profoundly lacking? You say, this is, this is an, a spot in my life that's it's a miss for me. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me and truly surrender to Him and allow Him to cultivate the soil of my heart. It's nothing we can do to earn through being good enough to have Jesus come in and begin that process. That's getting the cart before the horse, right? When we say, I need to do all the good things, the right things, so that Jesus can come in. But rather, when it's Christ enters in, that's when the process begins in our heart. That's when it begins from the inside out, the transformation process. Have you invited the king in to begin that transformation process in your heart? It's not, as we just talked about a little earlier today, it's not about behavior correction or modification. It's about orienting ourselves to Jesus. Saying, I can't be good enough, Jesus, but I know that you are good. You are good in everything. You are perfect. You are my king. And so right now I surrender to you fully. I want you to come in and transform my heart. I want to have new life. Death to my old self. Death to my flesh. Just as we talked about what baptism represents. Going under the water. Dying to ourself. Being raised to new life in Jesus. Do you want that new life? It's available today. And it's freely given as a gift. Not earned. Let me bow our heads and close our eyes together. I want to give you this opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus today, first of all, to receive what only He can give. Maybe you've been on this path of trying to be a good enough person. You've been trying to morally be upright enough, but that's a losing battle. You're always going to fail at some level, and the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. So right now, if you say, my efforts aren't enough, but I, I need Jesus. I need God to come and give me a fresh start, a new life with him. That It's not my own righteousness, but Jesus working in me, transforming me, making me a new person. Pastor Brent, I want to receive that today. If that's you, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe you're recommitting your life. You've been walking away from God for a long time. And you say, it's time for me to return to Jesus. Will you raise your hand right now? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. And that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Praise God. Right now, church, we're going to pray together. This prayer is not magical in terms of the order of the words that we say or anything like that. This is a prayer that affirms the orientation of our heart. It says, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, that you are the Son of God, that you came, you lived a perfect life where I couldn't, you died and took my sin, my rebellion, my failure upon yourself. And when I give you my heart, you take that sin away from me and you make me righteous before you and I believe that you are resurrected and you sit at the right hand of God. And from this day forward, you are going to be my King and my God and I will not serve anyone else but you, Jesus. So right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want our whole church body to pray this prayer with me. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm hoping that you've already prayed this prayer, and I celebrate with you. Let's pray this together. Let's affirm this together out loud. And maybe you're still grappling with this. I encourage you to continue wrestling with God on this. Allow Him to speak. Don't run from His voice. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. 
You died for me. You lived a perfect life, but took my rebellion. You did not sin, but took my sin. And you offer me life. And so I receive it. I surrender my heart to you. I affirm you are God. And there is no other. Take my life. Save me. Forgive me. Make me yours. From this day forward, I will serve you and serve you alone. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Heaven celebrates with those who made that decision today to give their lives to Christ. Praise God. Here's my next call for you. Abide with Him. Pursue the Holy Spirit. Pursue intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We become like that which we pursue. We can try all we want to try to change the way we act. And by, 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 by uh, you know... Holding back from the fleshly desires with all our, you know, I'm using all the self-control I can. But let me tell you, it's when we surrender to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to to work in our heart and chase Him above all others that we see the greatest growth in, in the development of the fruit of the Spirit. Trust Him with that today. Invest in that relationship above all else and see what He does. Amen. Amen. New Life Church, have a blessed day. We will see you in life groups this coming Sunday. Um, we will and uh, enjoy this beautiful weather. God bless you, New Life. How's it going? <laughs>